first and foremost, the strategy has to call out semiconductors as a sector in and of its own right. In the same way that CHIPS Act called out from all the other research that was been going on that this is something we need to do. Hello and welcome to Perspectives with Nilo. I'm your host, Nilo Sullivan. If this is your first time joining our podcast, you might be interested to know that you can find all of our past episodes on our blog site at pwnilo.com or by searching for Perspectives with Nilo on your favorite podcast app. In this episode, we're talking about the EU Chips Act and why the EU, the US and others are trying to take back control of their semiconductor supply chains amid concerns that have intensified since Russia's invasion of Ukraine and China's increasingly aggressive behavior against Taiwan. My guest is Dr. Dennis Doyle, who is currently board chair of the Tyndall National Institute based at University College Cork. Dennis has been a leader in the semiconductor industry for over 30 years and has run large and complex silicon manufacturing facilities with complex global supply chains both in Ireland and in the United States. He spoke to us in a personal capacity about Ireland's engagement with the EU CHIPS Act, the need for a national semiconductor strategy and much more. So Dennis, uh, you're very welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Delighted to be here and, and it's a pleasure to meet you, Neil, and um, looking forward to having a, a chat on these very important topics. Great. So, so maybe we'll start with um, taking a look at the global semiconductor industry. Um, you know, sales exceeded 600 billion in 2022 and industry leaders tell us that it's poised to reach revenues of a tr- over a trillion by the end of the decade. And so uh, the semiconductor industry... Um, you know, is often used as an, an umbrella term um, for what is a multifaceted, multi-layered business. Uh, and so if we try to break it into its different areas or segments, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what those areas are. Uh, well, first of all, um, in terms of the industry overall, while the revenue from semiconductor companies is of the order of 600 uh, billion, you can put a factor of 10 onto that where it multiplies up into the whole ICT industry. Um, so you're, you're talking about six trillion worth of, if not, of revenue or value being generated by the semiconductor industry. And the reason I'm bringing that up, because I think it's an important point, is whereas maybe 50 years ago, semiconductors were new, they were breakthrough and so forth, and they still are, mm-hmm. um, they've become now foundational for every industry on the planet. And to some extent, we, forgot about the semiconductor industry for many years while we concentrated obviously on you know social media platforms or while we you know life sciences and other medical devices the auto industry got the headlines semiconductor industry was still you know heavily researching in the background and but almost was lost in the consciousness of the um, of the, the general public and indeed the policymakers and that kind of came to a shuddering halt, you know, with the pandemic, because suddenly the need for more computers, for people working from home, for more, if you like, uh, storage space and so forth, uh, created an unprecedented demand surge suddenly. And this came about with, on the other side where the supply chains were completely disrupted by COVID. Uh, and, you know, you got into this, oh, we, we big chip shortages and people's consciousness and awareness uh, of the semiconductor industry, if you like, resurfaced uh, and the importance of it. So I think that's a, a very important benchmark. And then obviously the, the war in Ukraine, you know, while impacting somewhat on the on the supply chain, 
also brought into focus very sharply the Taiwan-China situation because the dependence on the semiconductor industry on Taiwan in particular, you know, is a cause for concern worldwide, particularly among policymakers. So, you know, the semiconductor industry is a really foundational industry. It's a real important industry for you know, for the whole world, for the whole digitization, for any sector you can think of. But we kind of forgot about it for a long time. And, you know, while, you know, one thing that has come out of the pandemic is this, if you like, um, re-emergence of semiconductors as being strategically important. Um, so with that being said, the question you asked me of the different sectors, we have a very broad, when we say semiconductors, we're talking about materials. Everyone thinks of silicon, which obviously is around computers, but there's lots of other materials um, and a lot of other applications ranging from your kind of your memory and your processor and your, and your, your PC to the communications we have with 4G, 5G, now 6G, um, fiber optics, uh, and a very important part of communications. But then you've got other end of the spectrum in power, semiconductors, you know, semiconductors for, for power delivery, for switches and so forth, which are more discrete rather than integrated. So it's a vast spectrum that is covered in semiconductors. You know, imaging is another example, you know, and particularly whether it be, you know, X-ray imaging or whether it be, you know, even our photography uh, displays, another part of the semiconductor industry as well. So it's a vast, vast industry. And it covers, you know, uh, not just a broad, broad spectrum, but it's very deep as well in terms of the skills and the different uh, disciplines that are required within it. So, yes, it's an umbrella term, semiconductor, but it's a huge, huge industry. And as I said earlier, it's foundational. And I think that's the really important message I'd like to kind of deliver. And who would be the major players in this? What are the big kind of company names that we could associate with this industry? And I suppose the second thing to kind of just get a, a bit of an understanding of the supply chain is where are they? Where are these major players located? Well, that, that's a, a good question because it depends on the layers of the semiconductor industry you're in. Everyone, you know, would think straight away of some company like Intel, but in many respects, you know, Intel are supplying, if you like, processors um, and have been for. 50, 60 years. They're both manufacturing and designing these processors. So they're embedded in the supply chain vertically as well. But then, of course, these processes are, are used in, in all sorts of telecommunication devices or in industrial uh, automation equipment and so forth. So the big players, you know, are any player in the world is using semiconductors. Um, so question is really i think you're asking who are the marquee names if you just stick to the semiconductors and you're you're talking really the intels um from from uh, being a big one the mem- uh, samsung and uh, the memory companies like micron renesis um interesting would you call apple a semiconductor company they're certainly you know designing their own chips and they're getting them manufactured so they're now someone who would be in a kind of, if you like, a system, now that they're, they're, they're a main player as well. Um, and then you've got other, you know, European ones would be around Infineon, NXP, um, ST Microelectronics, Analog Devices, who I'm, I'm very familiar with, uh, Texas Instruments, you know, a lot of names that may not come to the, the, the public attention that, that that's because they're not in customer users in the general population that are normally embedded in equipment. A layer down, I think, is very important because you'll hear a lot talked about maybe the foundries 
people like TSMC, Global Foundries, who are manufacturers of semiconductor uh, chips for for other companies. And I think uh, I wouldn't call them contract manufacturers because they're much more specialized than that. Uh, but they're the big players, particularly TSMC, and they are, have a huge presence in the semiconductor market. And, and nowadays, uh, most, uh, but not all, chip companies have outsourced uh, the, the chip manufacturing piece. I mean, you, mentioned, you mentioned Intel there. They do their own manufacturing. They're one of the exceptions, I suppose. But many have outsourced uh, their manufacturing, their chip manufacturing business. And my question is, I guess, how, how did the industry evolve to be like this? And uh, why is it now a concern for some regions like the EU? Um, well, the whole semiconductor industry from day one has been governed by what's called Moore's Law, which was a simple statement that every the number of transistors on a circuit would double every 18 months or two years or whatever. And that law drove the industry and uh, made chips get smaller and smaller and smaller, get circuits get bigger and bigger and bigger, forced the prices down and so over the years and so forth as the demand got higher and higher and we got bigger and bigger scale. So Moore's Law has really been the metronome, I would say, for the semiconductor industry. Um, but there has been some, if you like, um, unintended consequences of that. Because if you're going at that pace and if the cost of manufacturing at the next generation keeps doubling and getting higher and higher and higher. Fewer and fewer companies can afford, if you like, the investment for the next generation. You know, to build a, a module for a semiconductor fab today at the latest node would be, you know, easily 10 billion. You know, so you're $10 billion. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's not something that many companies can afford to keep up at that pace. So if you're a, a CEO or a CFO in a semiconductor company in the last 20 years, you know, and you want to, you know, increase your capacity. You've basically two choices. You can build capacity, spend the money and the investment, the capital, um, and, you know, get that return over the long term. Um, or you can say, well, I'll go to somebody who'll do this for me, but who will do it for everyone else as well. So they can achieve scale that I can't. So I get the advantage uh, of that I don't have to spend the capital. Um, I get the advantage of lower prices because I'm using the scale of everyone else um, to, um, to, to, to achieve those lower price, prices. And the big advantage is in the short term, it's a variable cost. I can pay for the wafers and if I don't need them, I don't pay for them. So there's no, if you like, fixed cost. That's very attractive. And those, if you like, financial benefits are all short term. Right, so, and very, very attractive. The downside of going to, uh, well, I, I don't like to call it the outsource model, it's actually the foundry model because it's, it's much more uh, nuanced than that. In the foundry model, you have to use the same process as everybody else. You're, you're, you're losing, to some extent, any you know, competitive advantage you may or may not have in your ability to tailor your own manufacturing process. So you, and, and this is the technology? The, this is the technology or the latest node. So that, that's, if you like, a, a, a disadvantage. You also become, if you're right, reliant on that company then to produce your, your, um, your, your, your product for you. Um, and you're relying on them to do that in the long term. So you become strategically dependent on that company. 
And it's a tough business to be in, this foundry model, and really the most successful one has been TSMC, who built you know, the scale big enough so they can make themselves attractive to, to a lot of other semiconductor companies. And that attractiveness has led to this dependence on one company and one, uh, if you like, one region, mainly Taiwan. Um, so you, it's always been this balance about what's the short-term financial gain versus the kind of strategic dependence you have on this company uh, and its longevity. And there's also another fundamental, you're also relying on them to deliver capacity when you need it. And up to, say, 2019, this worked beautifully because you know, there was unlimited capacity. TSMC continued to invest, continued to invest, and capacity but, uh, when, you know, was being added. But when that constraint came on, then the, comp the companies relying on this foundry model ended up with saying, OK, I can't be certain of my future capacity. I can't be certain that I am going to be able to achieve my growth figures because now I'm dependent on, on, this, on this company. And there, that's why the strategic importance of the China thing became very important and, and why people kind of had to reevaluate this short-term gain financially versus this long-term strategic dependence on, on this one company. So it's always been a very difficult balancing act. But the point I'd really want to make is it was known. You know, it, it isn't that it, this just you know, suddenly blew up in our face. It was always a, a kind of going to happen at some stage. It's just it went so well for about 20, 25 years that, that, that people for, forgot, kind of almost took it for granted, you know, and to some extent. And that's why, as I said earlier, I do believe a lot of the semiconductor industry went out of the consciousness of the policymakers and, and the public in general. But post-pandemic and now with some new, uh, I guess, geopolitical, uh, a different geopolitical climate, uh, there's a, a raised, a renewed awareness on, on this supply chain and having it be more determinate. And I suppose this is maybe one of the reasons why the EU CHIPS Act has come about. And the EU CHIPS Act was announced in February 2022, and the EU Council formally approved it uh, in July 2023. Uh, and the US has been doing similar things. They've uh, passed their CHIPS and Science Act in 2022. South Korea, we believe, are, are, are doing the same. So I guess the question is, uh, what's going on with all these CHIPS Acts? Is this, is this supply chain problem? Is that what they're uh, aiming to solve that you talked about? Is that the motivation for them? The real motivation is that, you know, Europe as a big consumer of semiconductors has realized because of the, the pandemic particularly, and also because of the geopolitical situation, um, that it has a huge reliance, and its companies have a huge reliance on semiconductors coming out of one location from one company. Now, albeit there are other boundaries, and I should mention that, but it, you know, when, when we talk about by Taiwan, we're really talking about TSMC. Um, there's a huge reliance on one, one country and one company. Um, and if you know anything shocks the geopolitical system happens, then that can have huge impact on Europe and the West in general. You know, um, you know. So this reliance has forced the two main blocks in the world, the other two main blocks, the EU and the US, to sit up and say, okay, we need to make sure that we are have you know not as reliant on one location. Um, as as we have been in the past. So they basically have, as you said, put into law these CHIPS Acts, which basically, if you like, encourages 
the, if you like, investment in semiconductors across the entire supply chain in Europe and in the US's case, in the US as well, and obviously Korea and others have theirs. So that's what those chips acts are about. They're about redressing the balancing um, of this kind of lopsided strategic um, and, if you like, geographical um, imbalance. And I think it's not, you know, and it has worked because I think, you know, there's been a lot of recent announcements and the most obvious one was for the company TSMC based in Taiwan to set up in the US and to set up in in Europe. And that's exactly what they've done, right? No doubt encouraged by the Europeans encouraging him to do that. And I find what's interesting is so far, if you like, so far, the announcements, particularly in Europe, around Global Foundries, who are another foundry with ST, and also TSMC with Bosch, NXP, and ST, are an alliance with their companies, with their, sorry, with their customers. So TSMC isn't just setting up in, 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 in Europe, they're forming a joint venture with their customers, which is trying to redress from the customer's point of view, the imbalance, you know, this kind of, if you like a hybrid between doing it ourselves internally versus doing it completely outsourcing it to TSMC. Well, we'll let TSMC manufacture it, but we own some of the company. So to some extent, it's a hybrid model now uh, to address some of the shortcomings and the strategic issue. It doesn't readdress them all, but it does for the given generation at least guarantee those companies that I mentioned uh, capacity uh, into the foresee for for the, the near term future as well uh, in, 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 for the near term future. Um, so I do think it's 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 interesting that those alliances have formed, um, which comes back maybe with point later about you know how come they didn't come to Ireland? Well, TSMC were all going to go where their customers in Europe were were, which was namely you know. Infineon and Bosch are in Germany and and, and uh, NXP are in Holland. So they were, you know, it's probably more likely they were all, no matter what we offered, that they would actually end up locating close to their customer for 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 that reason. You know, I think the other one we should mention too is Intel, because Intel always had a footprint in Europe, and in the US and in Israel as well. So they weren't as geographically dependent for their wafer manufacturing in in Taiwan and so forth. Um, so they, you know, have continued to invest in their fabs uh, worldwide. But an interesting point for them is they've moved into the foundry business as well. And indeed, I'm sure some of their factory in Dublin or in Leakslip, you know, is concerned with this foundry business. So in some ways, it's great that they're in that business uh, from a strategic point of view because TSMC and others need competition, and you now you have competition for one of the from from one of the best manufacturers in 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 the world. But I think it's important for Ireland as well that they succeed in that business because that can only lead to, if you like, further investment down the road in the Irish site as well. So uh, they they've announced factories in Germany and 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 other facilities in Italy and Poland and so forth. Um, so you know. We're an important part of that ecosystem as well. So let's talk a little bit maybe about the funding model for, for the EU Chips Act that's going to enable all of this, right, or help drive it. I mean, um, maybe I can first ask you is like for the EU Chips Act, how, how much is involved? And secondly, are there any notable differences as regards uh, the regulations around the funding? Without going into too much detail on the Chips Act, I think, you know, the, the headline figure is 43 billion. 
However, we're we're in the middle of you know a budgetary budgetary period for the EU. So I think it's important to point out that this isn't extra money. This is money that's being should say say I won't say taken from other programs. That's the wrong way to to, to look at it. It's more ring fenced from for semiconductors within existing programs and so forth or rearranging or restructuring of programs so that's an important point it's not extra money um, but what it does do it allows individual national governments to increase their funding into um, if you like supporting uh, the development of a semiconductor in uh, uh, industry in their countries so it allows, whether it be the Germans, the French, or indeed the Irish, to put in more money into uh, getting semiconductor companies formed and, and, and investing in them without running into, if you like, state aid rules that maybe would have hampered them in the past. Um, so I think that's the big takeaway. It, it, it's, it's not extra money. But it has been effective. And I think that's really important. And I, you know, that'll come later on, maybe when we talk about kind of what Ireland needs to do. But even having a headline that says we're important, we're, we're going to kind of focus on this, we're going to ring fence money, we'll allow national governments, has had almost an immediate impact in, in getting, gaining investment from the big semiconductor companies. So it seems that many EU states anticipated the finalising of the EU Chips Act in, in July of this year and began engaging in investment discussions uh, with like-minded countries and partners many months before and some have already announced partnerships, like you mentioned, uh, the TSMC-Germany deal. Ireland, according to the Sunday Business Post, was not among the 20 signatories of the original EU CHIPS declaration back in March of 2021. But the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment did put out a request for public consultation in March of 2022. I believe Tyndall were one of the contributors to the reply, according to the consultation report published in May of 2022. But I guess the question does come up looking at the kind of timeline here. Are Ireland a little late to this game? Um, when you frame it like that, you could say yes. But I think that would be to underestimate, say, for example, the work that the IDA do on an ongoing basis. So, you know, I have no doubt, absolutely no doubt, that the IDA were chasing TSMC, they were chasing other investments and so forth. They were up against severe competition, right? Um, could we have helped them more, I think, is probably where I think, you know, we have room for improvement, right? So I don't think... Um, I don't. I don't think there's there has been a negative impact to date on, on anything we've done. I think we've got to look at this now. What we need to do going forward, but also I think we need to look at this, you know, in the long term. You know, what do we need in the long term? You know, as I said earlier on, the investment in TSMC in in Germany probably was beyond us. It would have been great, but it was mm-hmm. now there are others in place. Samsung, for example, haven't announced any kind of global expansion to my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, certainly not into Europe. And uh, you know, so I presume that that's still in play. And I'm sure there's other areas in play. And also as I mentioned earlier on, the semiconductor industry is vast. These are the headline ones, yeah. right? There's a lot more, you know, layers and, and um, you know areas that Ireland can win on and can, will, are winning and continuing to win on. I mean, if you look at the semiconductor industry in its, what we would say here in terms of, 
you know, obviously the Intels, the analog devices at the manufacturing end and the micro semi is a manufacturing end. And then you've got a lot of design houses, like the big ones are all here, Infineon are here, Bosch are here, uh, um, you know, Renesis are here, uh, the other companies like Cadence, Synopsys are here, Qualcomm, a big RF company are here, Maycom, a big RF company. So, you know, the IDA in Ireland have been very, very, uh, so successful in attracting those so we shouldn't be overcritical and saying you know have we missed the boat here right I think we should take a long term view you know and I think that's probably the way to look at it um, there was going to be always going to be a kind of headlines in the short term you know response to the CHIPS Act we probably couldn't compete in terms of the level of investment that was required uh, but we do need to get our act together in terms of coherently yeah. putting forward um not just relying on the IDA or EI to do startups and and uh, and SFI to do R and D. We yeah. need to coordinate it. So we need to have our own strategy, if your own our own chips act in many respects, uh, as much for a label as anything else to to kind of show we're serious in the round. I suppose there are other smaller European countries, though, like Lithuania, who have struck deals on the research side with uh, with Taiwan and various uh, institutions in Taiwan to, to build those collaboration connections. But staying with Ireland for a, for a minute, when you say, like, the companies you mentioned, they're all here, um, there were only two uh, companies here manufacturing uh, chips. That would be analog devices and Intel. But all the others are, are mostly doing design. Can, tell us a little more about the, the chips industry in Ireland and what the, what the different elements or distribution of technologies or activity we have here? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you have to make the, the, the chips, right? And, and that in itself is a technology, you know, and we talked about Moore's Law earlier on. So, you know, and the, the main ones here, obviously, are analog devices and, uh, and, uh, and um, Intel. But then there's you have to design chips later on. And designing chips is where a lot of the IP value is. is that's the you know that's where a lot of the value in, in the IC comes from. And to design that, we have a lot of the design companies here. Whether it be you know we have AMD here. I, I should have mentioned them earlier on, who who recently bought Xilinx. Um, you have micro, Intel themselves have a design center here. People like Jaguar Land Rover who've design center here. You have uh, you know uh, Infineon who bought Cypress are here, on Semi are here. So there's a lot of design companies who are designing chips. So that's a discipline of its of its own. And you know the government have through what's called and the industry through MCCI, which is based in Tyndall, is a kind of a research institute kind of encouraging the kind of skills and the or and the research into into that. So that's that's really important. So um go back to lower down the supply chain, you know, Ireland between semiconductors and between um shall we say the, the life science industries are experts in building clean rooms. Right. So there's a lot of contract companies out there that are expert in that area. A lot of if you like people servicing equipment uh, in the big manufacturing companies, and these are high-end, multi-million-dollar pieces of equipment that need maintenance and so forth. You know, so we have a huge skill base in in that area as well, in terms of servicing equipment as well. So, and uh, you know, so we have a broad spectrum to you know design. The chips are so big these days; they need a lot of you know verification and you know automation in terms of their design. And we have a lot of the big if you like, um, verification companies here, like Cadence, Synopsis, and so forth. So, you know, so we have, we have, if you like, a lot of the ecosystem. 
And I think, you know, without getting too much into what the strategy should be, yeah. it'd be very tempting to go after a very, you know, high profile one or two wins, whereas the ecosystem is huge. And, you know, it's as important to have all, you know, to, to have a lot of, there, there's a lot of, if you like, um, alternative paths we can go down yes. and where we have expertise and where we can build on what we already have and if you like build the, the whole ecosystem rather than just relying on a, a kind of a high profile one you know and you talk about you know maybe diversification that's you know so the the semiconductor industry is probably very diversified right which is great but it's another in, but it's it's probably a it's a, probably an issue in terms of its people recognizing it as an industry because it is is so diversified. But uh, you know, it's um, the other thing I should have mentioned is uh, those companies we talked about are on the leading edge. But many of, if you like, the semiconductor industry is on older technology and older nodes, and that's to do with the life cycle of products. If you buy, you know, a microprocessor that goes into your car, you know, the life cycle of the car can be ten. Your car could be ten years, but the the model could last for 10, 15 years. So you will need the same process. So you, so you, and the same with industrial equipment. The life cycle of some of these technologies can be 10, 20, 30 years. So these are called legacy nodes. And while, if you like, the high-profile ones at the moment are at the advanced nodes, there's still an opportunity that we need capacity, at least in manufacturing and other areas, in legacy notes and if you like the investment that analog devices have made recently announced the i think it was 630 million euro was to triple their capacity not at the leading edge but at nodes if you like that where they have a huge market and which they see is going to grow um so the the i suppose the point i'm trying to make is the semiconductor industry is big and you know your the basis of your question was oh have we lost out well we may have lost out in particular high-profile projects, but you know there's a rich space still to explore, and I'm sure the IDA, you know, are, are very much aware of that. You know. So let's talk a little bit then about how we, if we haven't lost out, how we can maybe, or what the right strategies should be, to take advantage of of this uh, Chips Act for Ireland, and how, like as you put it, uh, could we develop our own Irish uh, Chips Act? Um, and secure the industry here and develop the industry here for the future. I mean, it's it's a vast industry, like you say, um, but, you know, Tyndall have published a, a recent uh, paper on Ireland's role in the global semiconductor industry. They say we need a national computer chip strategy. So what does that mean? What does a national computer chip strategy, what, what fundamentals do we need to develop to make sure we, we do this right? Well, I think the important point, and I think we alluded to the CHIPS Act, just the fact that there was a CHIPS Act attracted, you know, said people that the EU were serious about it. So I think that would be my first and foremost comment. Having a strategy is important in, in and of itself to have a strategy. You know, rather than like if you if you look at it, you know we we have the idea who are out there if you like pushing uh, you know for uh, foreign direct investment. We have you know uh, EI you know trying to grow our indigenous sector, and we also have, who are kind of one of the biggest funders of startups and so forth. Um, we have Science Foundation Ireland, which are you know a big provider of R and D funding in Ireland to the various various areas. We have the if you like the um, Tyndall, which I'm obviously very familiar with, which is providing the, if you like, the National Institute for the Research and so forth. We've all the universities who have courses in, in microelectronics, all the different aspects of it and, and what the industry need. But what we don't have is how are these all joined up? 
under a common framework where we're having the impact of those collectively is greater than the impact that they're having individually. So, you know, I'm always going to ask for more funding, but take funding aside, right? You know, you'd have to say, you know, that we could do uh, having a framework or having a, if you like, a title of Ireland's national chips strategy mm-hmm. shows that we're, we're, we're kind of making the most impact with what we're doing already. But it also, if you like, shows to the investors, both, you know, startups and to, um, the, to the, the kind of foreign uh, direct investment community, that we are serious about this industry, that we want to grow this industry. Um, and you know, uh, and also probably the biggest audience that I'm concerned about is, is to kids at school. This industry needs talent. It needs, you know, people coming into this industry. And as I said, because it had been lost in the consciousness of the public for, you know, 20 years, the input or, you know, people have gone on to do computer science in the engineering fields and have joined, if you like, the uh, kind of software and and type, type companies rather than going into the more hardware type companies. Because it, they didn't see it. it, it wasn't conscious to them that these are great, exciting areas to work in. Um, so if you think the courses and the modules that are taken up at our universities, you know, haven't been haven't been taken up. The number of people entering PhD programs in Ireland from the Irish system hasn't has only increased, I think, by two and a half percent in the in the last fifteen years. So we we don't, you know, we need to, if you like have it as a in the same way as the chips act as out there front and center and saying we are taking this seriously this is an important industry so we need to identify it first and foremost before even we talk about the details of the strategy we need to have it out there as a sector everyone knows what life science sector is or the pharma sector is or what the kind of uh, like semiconductors is on loosely under technology but to most people and kids these days, technology means, you know, the platform software companies. It doesn't mean semiconductors. So first and foremost, the strategy has to call out semiconductors as a sector in and of its own right. In the same way that the CHIPS Act called out from all the other research that was been going on, you know, that this is something we need to do. So I, I think that's the first four, the most important point to mention. It needs to be a sector and we need to have a strategy and we need to have joined up thinking. Now, what are the elements of the strategy? You know, it'd be wrong of me to presume, you know, if you work with industry leaders, if you work with um, the, the, the kind of the various government departments, if you look at the universities, what the outcome of that strategy should be. Some people would say oh, we should focus and prioritize in certain areas. I would be of the view, and this is my own personal view, is that we need to do what we've always done, is focus on the fundamentals. You know, so, you know, if you think, what are the fundamentals? You know, the recent, shall we say, crisis in energy or energy shortage hasn't helped our cause for attracting manufacturing industry. You know, the debate, whatever about the rights and wrongs about, of it, about you know, data centres, hasn't helped attract, you know, companies into Ireland because, um, you know, it, it's it's... It's it's a basic, you know, that we need to have the power to going forward. Now I'm very certain that we will have this power going forward. You know, we will have green power, whether that mainly through wind energy, you know, both onshore, fixed offshore. But recently, I'm not sure the economic uh, report on the Shannon Estuary identified floating wind power as being able to provide, shall we say, 
you know, 10 times our current needs. So, you know, we, we will get there. But we need a plan in the meantime as to how we, we fill that gap in, in the most kind of sustainable and green way possible. So we need to have an energy policy, right, that it would be part of the strategy uh, and to lower the prices and to ensure security. Um, then we need, shall we say, in other areas, you know, I know they're working on the planning issues at the moment, but, you know, and these are common across many of the sectors, you know, planning can be an issue and it needs to be mm -hmm. streamlined. Most importantly, it needs to be certain. It needs to be defined and, and people know what process is being followed uh, and given certainty and to how long it can take. And I suppose mainly, you know, on my side of it, where I'm coming from, is the educational side. We need to have, uh, if you like, a fundamental look of how we're attracting people into, into semiconductors and uh, how we're going to train up people maybe who are already in the industry or who are in other industry and cross-train them. That would have to be part, part, very much part of it. And then I suppose, given my role in Tyndall, you know, the you know, the R&D sector needs to be enhanced uh, even further. And not just by funding, um, but working, as you say, collaborating with other institutions in, across the Euro, Euro, European Union and so forth. Um, you know, we, we need to continue to invest. Uh, I often say, you know, when when you look at the investment that was made in Tyndall which, and its predecessor in the 80s, which was called the National Microelectronics Centre, which would like to think helped, you know, train a lot of people who are, you know, executives in, in various companies today, you know, whether it be analog devices, you know, um, they were it was formed before Intel came on the scene. I'm, I'd like to think it, it helped part of that decision of Intel to come here. So that investment in the 80s is still paying off today in terms of the people that were and the research that was done, you know, for Ireland. So, you know, I would always argue the case, you cannot put enough money into R&D. Um, you know, there's a balance between the short-term issues and the long-term issues. But, you know, investing, and the Irish always have done this, investing in education, you know, has always for centuries proved to be our platform to progress. But uh, I guess one question that comes to mind, Dennis, then is who can lead this? I mean, government, multiple departments, it seems like there's multiple uh, areas involved. Who should lead it? That's a good question. Uh, certainly the stakeholders are clear. Like, as you said, there's multiple, you know, government agencies involved. There's obviously the IDA, Enterprise Ireland, Science Foundation Ireland, Tyndall National Institute, is, you know, obviously has, has a big role and is willing to play whatever role that it's asked to play, 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 play in that. But the industry itself, whether it be through Midas, which is the kind of designer company uh, grouping, or the manufacturing companies like Intel, they have to be part of it, as does the educational, the third level in particular and also some second level if you like career guidance to 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 kind of kind of highlight the importance of this industry uh, to, to to basically to our future um as to who leaders that that that's really would be a decision for 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 i would say the minister for enterprise would be my my, my view on that one right so i wouldn't like to preempt him on that one uh, I had a question for you about diversification. This is a question that uh, you know some people have alluded to based on uh, Central Statistics Office numbers. And uh, there was a recent report also from the European Think Tank Network on China. And they say that you know 64% of Ireland's uh, chip exports uh, last year in 2022 were to China. Um, over 8 billion euro of exports. Um, in fact, uh, our exports to China, semiconductor exports to China, have been steadily growing since uh, 2011. Um, 
some some journalists have said that you know given the kind of seismic success story that this is uh it's kind of unusual that the government haven't been celebrating this success um but i think on a different slightly different point given the recent geopolitical tensions that we mentioned uh regarding china's hostile threats to annex taiwan and us china relations and indeed the the downturn in the chinese economy the etnc report highlights that you know this may be a, an area of a risk for ireland the fact that we are so dependent on exports to china um so so i is that something do you think we should be worried about is this or, sh- or should we should should diversification be part of an Ireland Chips Act plan? Um, I, I think uh, my uh, I don't know the statistics and I don't know the numbers, but there's I would say exports to China come into two categories. You know, finished product sales to Chinese companies, right? And you know, trade is trade, and you know it isn't that that Ireland or that the semiconductor companies won't trade with China obviously subject to export rules and so forth, right? Um, but I would say the bulk of that number you talked about is from intercompany transfers or intercompany transfers where, you know, uh, and I can imagine the, the big manufacturing companies here who produce the wafers and then they're uh, assembled and packaged in in China uh, uh, and that their back-end facilities are there. And, that w- and then it's, so it's an, only an intercompany transfer. So, you know, uh, Intel, for example, have announced, you know, packaging is being set up in Italy. So I think the market will do that for us in the sense of, you know, where the front end is manufactured and where the back end are not necessarily linked, right? So if, if for example, you know, the larger companies move their packaging facilities from China to to Italy or if they move it to the Philippines or whatever, then it's just that that, that, that if you like, trade will just transfer to that site. So I don't think the front-end location really is is at risk because of the back-end location. I wanted to ask you also about uh, maybe collaboration frameworks. Um, you know, as you've kind of indicated, you know, the chip, the, the chip industry or the semiconductor industry is a huge uh, industry with many different parts. And, you know, there isn't any one country that has all the parts that can do it all together. Or, or not, there isn't indeed any single company that has all the different aspects or technologies that can do the whole thing end to end. And so it seems like collaboration is a, an important thing. How about collaboration levels between other EU partners and other semiconductor centers of excellence? Or Taiwan, for example, um, like what the what the EU Chips Act calls like-minded partners. And I and again, I ask this from the point of view of uh, doubling uh, Ireland's semiconductor industry by 2030 seems like a demanding challenge. And the more partners you have, it would seem like the better. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, again, I think you're you're probably. There's an implied negativity in some respects in the question because, I mean, there is huge collaboration already between countries. I mean, Horizon Europe, you know, is based on collaboration between, you know, all the R&D projects, if you like, across all industries are based on collaboration between member states and various institutions and industry and academia and so forth. So the Horizon Europe program, you know, already, if you like, to some extent addresses that. And really what the CHIPS Act does it just kind of emphasizes that we want to, you know, more, if you like, dependence or more 
yeah, you know, just emphasizing that these are the areas we we need to be looking at, right? So mm-hmm. that collaboration. Speaking on behalf of Tyndall, you know, we have very strong relationships with what we would consider our equivalents uh, in in uh, in other countries. So, for example, IMEC, um, Lessi, which is in Belgium, Lessi in in in, uh, in France, uh, the Fraunhofer's, and one of the pillars of the Chips Act is to create these pilot lines for new technologies. And again, as you just pointed out, no one of those facilities can in and of itself create the entire pilot line. So we're working with with, with these various other uh, national institutes to uh, or other RTOs as they're called, um, to what portion will Tyndall, for example, participate in. So yes, I, I think there is already a, a high degree of collaboration, especially certainly at the R and D end, and certainly at the um, if you like the um, um, the the certainly, yeah, certainly at the R and D end and at the pilot line level, and that comes from within the chips framework as well. And I think that's an important point uh, because Tyndall you know, has a response or has responded to the CHIPS Act in where, where areas it's working. I'm sure the IDA are doing theirs. You know, EI will do their, their, their role. I think what we just need is, if you like, an umbrella to say this is our concerted response, if you like, in its total uh, to, the, to the CHIPS Act, which is, again, why I think we need a national strategy for semiconductors, basically, on it. Great. Uh, so final question uh, I want to ask you is, is regards the funding again. So uh, the EU Chips Act funding model, in other words, the allowance of state funding under the new EU rules, is proving a little controversial. Um, according to a recent uh, newspaper article, uh, Michael Lohan of the IDA said that uh, there's a shift in the world of foreign direct investments and the beginning of a high-stake subsidy race between developed countries and economies around the world. And he went on to say that uh, at an industrial policy level, it's probably one of the biggest shifts in probably a decade or two. Um, and this may make it uh, difficult for small states, small EU states like Ireland, to compete in this environment. Um, some say that, you know, the lure of our corporate tax, low corporate tax rate is no longer uh, what it was. And so that won't uh, overcome that challenge. Um, others add, you know, that, you know, instead of spending billions of dollars of, of euros on, uh, on the chips industry, uh, we should be investing in infrastructure and housing and, and other areas that the state needs. Whereas others uh, still will say, uh, you know, that Ireland should make a meaningful contribution to common European objectives and EU strategic autonomy by uh, investing in, in the EU chips uh, industry. Um, so what's your view on this funding and how should this play into Ireland's overall uh, chip strategy? Well, I suppose that's a big question, right, and and, and very uh, very high level question. Um, as I said earlier, definitely, obviously, the Chips Act allows you know more member states put more money in, and therefore for the bigger projects, you know, um, there that you know Ireland may not be able to compete for this. Uh, in, if you want to call them subsidies, whatever they call them, that we will not put in that much money, right? But as I said earlier on, the industry is vast. You know, so rather than having necessarily just one high-profile, if you like, um, you know, uh, TSMC with five or ten thousand people in Germany, you know, having three or four or five hundred company uh, setups in Ireland is 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 suitable for us and for our size and so forth. And I think, 
it, Ireland always had a package, as in it wasn't just tax. It wasn't, you know, it, it is a combination of things. It's a combination of English speaking. It's a combination of, uh, if you like, um, a stable environment, a business-friendly environment and so forth. It also has the talent, which I think we can't underestimate. And it had an ecosystem, an R&D ecosystem and so forth. So, yes, one of those pillars of our, of our if you like, uh, value proposition is now less than it was previously or you know or the stakes have hired so really what we need to do is make sure the other ones are are strengthened right and i think you know you have to look at it in the round and sometimes and i'm not saying that i have a direct knowledge of this is you know it's it's it, the, the things that decide an investment in a location is multifactorial and can be very emotional as well so that's why you know having a chip strategy Saying that we are interested is a really important statement in of, of itself. Yes, we may not be able to provide as much as another country built, but we can provide you with this, we can provide you with that, we can provide you with you know, stable, secure electricity, green electricity, we can provide you with you know, uh, access to the ecosystem, we can provide you with access to government in terms of, you know, and it kind of um, any issues that need to be resolved and so forth. We can access. So there's a lot of things we can, if you like, develop and it's it's in the round. Now in terms of should, why would we invest in this rather than something else, um, as I said earlier, there's all, always the short term versus long term. You know, the investments that are made in R&D and in this area um, are 50 year investment or half a century investment. And I, you know, the problem sometimes we look too short term, like as I was talking about the companies earlier on in terms of the re return of investment over you know the next two years or whatever. The investments made by whether it be the IDA or the Irish government, you know, in bringing the analogs, the the Intels, all the other companies to Ireland, have paid off manifold and multiplied, and and are still returning, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later. So we've got to take it with that approach. That's Dr. Dennis Doyle, who is a semiconductor industry expert and currently board chair of the Tyndall National Institute at University College Cork. My sincere thanks to him for sharing his views and insights with us on Perspectives with Nilo. You can find out more about the topics discussed in the interview on our blog site at pwnilo.com, where we have linked Tyndall's position paper on Ireland's role in the global semiconductor industry information on the EU CHIPS Act and how CHIPS Acts are driving semiconductor investments and the global FDI landscape and much more. You can also follow Perspectives with Nilo on Spotify, iTunes or your favourite podcast app as well as on Instagram and Twitter. And that's where we leave it for now. Until the next time, thank you for listening. Slánach Spanacht.